0: SpaceX launched humans into space. So first uh private company first non-government entity to uh to launch astronauts, also the first uh launch with a reusable rocket sending humans. Um so what are your thoughts on it?
1: Uh <clears throat> actually you pulled up my uh Tesla WTF um post but there was a post I put up about um, the SpaceX, and um, it being a Kitty Hawk moment. And I really think that um, this event that happened on Saturday is very similar to December 19, I believe it was 03, when the Wright brothers got um, the, the the first flight up. And even though we've done things in space and we've had the the... Columbia, or the the space shuttle program and the Apollo project. <clears throat> I think the fact that this is the first time private, um, a private company put astronauts in space. This is creating a new in- industry, and an industry that's going to morph into space tourism, tourism, um, zero gravity manufacturing. I mean there's going to be an assortment of things space advertising. <laughs> um obviously there was a, a a report that Tom Cruise and SpaceX came to some type of agreement to film part of a of a movie up in space. So I, I think it's one of those moments that we're going to look back on 20 years from now, 30 years from now and say, you know, that was that was a game-changing moment. Yeah.
0: Definitely. And the I mean the reusability is a huge thing too, because as it st- as it was before, uh, eighty million dollars a seat on a, on a Russian craft, versus now, you know, I don't know what the new figures are, but a much cheaper flight to space, uh, with higher degrees of frequency, uh, better, I would assume, better safety, and uh, so economically it's better, and uh, socially it's better. Um, and then also you've got the aspect of now we're launching from America versus uh, having to rely on another country.
1: Yeah, well, if, if you look at what SpaceX has done over the last eh, five years or so, <clears throat> they've really uh, knocked the floor off the cost per flight as compared to United Launch Alliance. And I forget the exact numbers, but... Last I remember, ULA was somewhere around 125 or 140 million a, a launch, and SpaceX had gotten that down to like 40 million. That's obviously for cargo and whatnot that they've been sending up, but that just shows you the uh, economic impact that the company is having, SpaceX is having, and how they're pushing the envelope. And I'm sure Blue Origin and some of the others are trying to do the same thing. Um, and that's only going to, you know, basic supply and demand. I mean, if if the cost comes down, the demand usually increases.
0: Um, and I mean, there there's demand for space too that that doesn't even exist yet. So it's it's creating a new source of demand while simultaneously addressing you know old sources of demand.
1: Um. <clears throat> yeah, and, and what's interesting is. You start to get into when you, when, when, when I research stuff, I'll speak in the first person here. Uh, um, it, it really gets very interesting as to where things are going because you have space and you have earth and you have things that are being done for space and with the intention of doing them in space. But Oh, by the way, we can do them on earthy. Uh, for example, uh, the idea of, uh, organic construction and materials just being organically grown and suddenly you grow a house. Uh, or, you know, you use space for stuff that benefits us on Earth like pharmaceutical research and things of that nature or zero-gravity manufacturing, which is out of ways, but that's something they're, they're talking about too. So when you look at the technologies in like 3D printing rockets, and we discussed last week 3D printing, you know, all kinds of things, um, that technological curve, which maybe this is an idea for next week talking about the economics of technology, but that technological curve spreads a lot more than just SpaceX or rocket launches or, or any of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and to your point about
0: stuff in space benefiting Earth. Um, SpaceX's initiative to uh, to do starlink and and bring Wi-Fi and internet to uh, to the entire globe, especially focusing on places that don't have internet or don't have uh, access to uh, really create the infrastructure needed to have internet uh, and and then we're going to use space technology instead and provide internet that's not only uh, on uh, on par with previous internet, but even better by, you know, significant margins.
1: Well, and my question to you, from an investing standpoint, what does that do to the Comcast and Time Warners of the world?
0: Yeah, I mean it disrupts them for sure.
1: I would think so. <laughs> I mean, until we see the numbers and where they come out and things of that nature and what services are offered. Um you know will this also go after verizon and a t and t I mean the big build out is five g but I don't know what uh satellite internet would we'd be able to handle voice over it too if that's the case, does it affect verizon? We'll have to wait and see,
0: yeah, I mean, I assume that it would um but you know I mean we have to wait and see, but I assume that it's going to disrupt. Pretty much all forms of communication and and access to to the internet.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's one of those projects that um, again, you look back twenty years later and you say that was a, a groundbreaking moment. yeah so uh, so
0: Tesla, what are your uh, you talked about how their stock price is going crazy? I know the, the entire stock market is pretty irrational right now, just not making, uh,
1: not really aligning with current events. Well, my, my view on the market is that um, it, it's a lot of the retail investor at this point. And it's a lot of international money, um, especially when we start to see the S&P and the NASDAQ. The Dow is lagging a little bit because it has traditionally more international exposure than the NASDAQ and the S&P. So it's kind of a barometer on the international scene, which is even worse than than the domestic scene. But uh, certainly I'm not a um, viewer that, hey, we're going to go on a bull run from here. <clears throat> I'm treading very lightly. I'm still holding my Tesla. Uh, my trigger hasn't been triggered yet to, to pull pull out. But, um, you know, it, it, as I said in that article, it seems that uh, that whole situation in the big run up yesterday was kind of an affirmation of Musk's leadership, which, to say the least, has been called into question over <laughs> the years. And the fact that I think many people recognize how impact, impactful the SpaceX event was, I think a lot of people may have stepped back and said, you know, okay, the guy's, he has his bravado and his his approach maybe isn't, you know, very CEO-ish, but this guy's got something going on. And, you know, obviously, any long-term proponent of Tesla, at least in the last five years, has seen an incredible transformation in the company. Now, you know when you have huh, most of your North, all of your North American operations shut down for two months, and you're trading at you know nine hundred dollars a share, and you're worth one hundred and fifty billion on three hundred and fifty thousand cars sold. Uh, that may be a little excessive, and that may be one of those dot com type moments where that's kind of an indicator of the market and things getting ahead of itself and. Uh, we may be in for a big correction.
0: I mean, I am not a buyer of Tesla at this price, um, but I long term I still see 900 as not even you know not even close to its potential. But but like you said, you know there there aren't great numbers for a uh, number of cars sold, and uh, you know the normal statistics that most people are are analyzing the company with don't. Don't match up, which is why Tesla is berated by analysts all the time. But also why the analysts don't see uh, the future potential of Tesla, just like a Warren Buffett doesn't see uh, a reason to buy Apple. You know, ten years ago.
1: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I mentioned last week about being a technology company or going out of out of business, and Tesla certainly is a, a premier technology company. And and ironically. Everybody calls it a car company. I think when you look over the next 15 years, let's say, automobile manufacturing is going to peak out if it already has. But then you look at energy storage. That's just getting started. Who's one of the premier energy storage companies in the world? Tesla. So when you look at that, I think ultimately in a decade or so, their energy storage is going to, their revenues are going to outpace the car division.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, energy storage, um, you know, the robo taxi idea, um, you know, clearly we're far away from these things, uh, really kind of taking over, but also at the same time, we're not that far away.
1: Well, and an interesting thing, I think I mentioned this on one of the episodes, but I really didn't go into it, but, when you, when you start to think of the idea of the energy internet, which we have our present internet, which is, of course, computer nodes all over the world connected together. Well, the energy internet is basically the same idea, but energy nodes, i.e. your house, your sol- the solar panels on your house. You know, you have all these electricity generating or, or power generating uh, nodes all over the place. And you have the Tesla vehicles and their new batteries may have the ability to be able to, to take some of the, the load off the network, things of that nature. Essentially, if you look at it, if you step back and look at it, Musk is kind of at the forefront of helping to lay the foundation to set that up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, SpaceX or Tesla it's, uh, or even the boring company, it, he's, he's really building the infrastructure needed, uh, for these longer term technologies.
1: Yeah. You got uh Neuralink also in there.
0: Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's another crazy, crazy big one that, that will disrupt. I mean, we, we can't even under start begin to understand what Neuralink is going to disrupt in the future. So do you want to, uh, Oh, sorry.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, you start to get into, and, and I know you've heard me use this term, the digital brain or the intellect, and you start to get these brain to computer interfaces. That's going to be a big push towards this uh, global brain idea that many people have. Yeah, definitely.
0: So do you want to talk about uh, social media? So there's been a lot, a lot happening on social media. You know, just not not just uh, world events, but also um, you know the usage of social media, censorship, which I know uh, both of us have you know close in our minds because of hive and and everything we do. Uh, so what are your thoughts on censorship, Trump, Facebook, Twitter?
1: Well, it's a very interesting situation. in fact, I wrote a post about this too, Damned if you do, damned if you don't, and it's interesting in the last week. Um, Dorsey and Twitter got into Trump's crosshairs because they, uh what do they call it? fact check, which I guess you could say is another term for censor. Because if the facts aren't in their agreement, they tend to say that you know it's fake news. Then you get a couple of days later, Trump's going off on whatever. Or I guess he was going off on the riots, and Zuckerberg gets in the crosshairs because he left the post untouched and said, you know, we're not touching. it." And so then of course his, you know, following, um, political leaning, if you will, they're all up in arms because Zuckerberg stood back and said, we'll exercise freedom of speech. There it is. It's out there. And if you don't agree with it, don't agree with it, downvote it, blast it, do whatever you want. But you know, it's there. So, um, I think in this instance, uh, you know, Zuckerberg is is right. Um, You know, unfortunately, if you are going to have freedom of speech, especially with technology, and bear in mind, and I think I got a tangent here, when we talk about freedom of speech, it's easy to throw that up against Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube, which freedom of speech really applies to. I mean, this is, you know, applying to Congress. So these are private platforms. Naturally, they have the right to do whatever they they desire. They are very powerful platforms. So I do think they have some accountability. They do have some things to answer. Um, But if we are going to have an open system of dialogue, unfortunately, there's people who have some views that are distasteful to the least. And there is racism out there. There is hatred out there. There is all kinds of nasty stuff out there that most of us aren't very happy about and would rather not see. But I think we can applaud somebody's right to say something without applauding what they're saying. And I don't have to agree with what you're saying, but I do have to agree that you have the right to say it. You have the right to express your views. And obviously, when you're talking about Nazism or, uh, you know, far out bigotry and and all that type of stuff, that's a no-brainer. But the problem comes when you get into the programming and people start to question the coronavirus. And then all of a sudden, somebody's labeled as a kook or a a skeptic or a not-believer in science. Or you have somebody who talks out about man-made climate change or man-made global warming. And then all of a sudden, they're isolated. And especially when you're talking about professionals in these industries, and then they're marginalized and their careers suffer because the, the idea of open dialogue is going away. And we see this more and more of a, of a country and, and actually a world in many of the, the Western countries that's being polarized, uh, politicized. And so now, I mean, we have this election coming up. Uh, Trump versus, as it stands now, Biden. And I mean, you know, the rift that's in this country, it doesn't matter who's going to win. I mean, you're going to have a large percentage of the country sitting there saying, that's not my president. And we're already seeing violence starting. I foresee this carrying through to uh, November. Maybe not the same reasoning, but, you know, there, there's a lot of upset there. And you know, I think the ability to converse about different topics and subjects in a way that's not necessarily filled with venom and anger is important. So in this one, I give Zuckerberg kudos and, um, you know, probably about the only time I'd give him any kudos because I think he's <laughs> pretty much as evil as they come. In yeah. My
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think an interesting point to uh, to this conversation uh, that a lot of people aren't talking about is that, you know, before social media, people had crazy conversations all the time, crazy conversations and debates and throwing out crazy ideas. And then, uh, talking about them is, is a normal part of not just learning, but, uh, you know, societal narrative. And, uh, now that we've got social media, it's just being, uh, it's just being kind of exposed and, and, uh, distributed better. Uh, but in any community at any time of, uh, of history, there's always been someone saying something crazy. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Constitution is meant for people to be able to express that, uh, their viewpoint, no matter how crazy it is, you know, as long as they don't, uh, you know, hurt other people with their rhetoric. Um, so I guess the, the conversation is, uh, is Trump hurting people with? with uh, With this phrasing
1: well, I mean you know Trump is obviously a, a very uh, i mean he incites a lot of stuff I mean he's very over the top uh, with his statements um, you know i I don't know is he hurting people I mean he's certainly not helping people um, you know the guy anytime he takes Twitter doesn't seem to help any situation. It's always an attack on somebody. So, um, you know, that's just the way the guy is. Uh, Is it a good thing? I won't say it's a good thing, but that's just what we deal with. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I mean, is he calling fire in a a movie theater? I don't know. I mean, did these people start to to riot? Um, And once again, we got a tangent. I think all of us agree protesting is an American right. It is good for people to protest. I think people getting together and protesting is a healthy thing. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that happens that is um, unjust, is a crime, is just needs attention shown on it. And this is a situation that, quite frankly, is no great surprise because we've had a constant militarization of our police forces—that you know, they, they move from the protect and serve, in my opinion. So now, you know, you look at the—you the, <laughs> look at what they have. They have stuff that was created for the military. So right. I think you got too many people in that arena who think of themselves as warriors and going out there. And you know, it—it it just shows it doesn't take much of an excess to have a. Tr- Tremendous tra- tra- travesty, like what happened with this young man. And when you have the President of the United States out there, you know, tweeting uh, along and, and, and you know, just throwing fuel on the fire, I don't think it helped. Um, right. would, would they have done it anyway? I'm sure. I mean, uh, an individual that I follow, he pegged, he said the end of May you're going to start to see the violence. He didn't know what would be the, the cause. But he said, basically, when you have people locked down for two months, which we had, it, tempers are going to start to flare. People are going to start to get, because people don't like to feel helpless, And that's what we basically felt with this virus situation. So, you know, obviously, I think most clear thinking people would say, you know, it'd be better if Trump toned things down. But you know that's not the way he is i grew up outside new york city and i watched the guy for 35 years and one thing you can say about him is he hasn't changed when he took over the white house he, he's still the same 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 behavior as he had before
0: no i mean uh i mean that's pretty much why he got elected right people are people were fed up with uh political speak and and people hiding behind uh you know hiding hiding behind the uh you know, their political armchairs rather than, rather than saying what, what's actually on their mind and, and speaking the truth, you know, but there's two sides to every coin. You know, you have Trump, who's maybe a little bit too extreme on that, on that spectrum, and then you've got, uh, you know, other people like Biden who are too extreme on the other spectrum.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, Trump, Trump's the target right now, but I, I think when you look at all politics these days, You know, it's just so divisive and it doesn't matter where you talk about Trump, Biden, Obama, AOC, uh, Paul Ryan when he was around, Mitch McConnell. You know, we're at a point now where it's with 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 the, the, the rhetoric that's out there. If you're not in absolute agreement with me, then you're attacking me and I have to attack you. Right. And. You know, I guess this is a phase we're going to have to go through. Social media has just magnified it, as you said. This technology gives anybody with a keyboard the ability to put out there whatever they want. And I I actually celebrate that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I got involved in Steam and Hive. And I really have no problem if people put absolutely disgusting stuff on Hive or, you know, when we were on Steam on Steam. You know, by the same token, I have no problem if people want to make that invisible by downvoting it and leave nasty comments to the person. I celebrate their right to do that too. So, you know, I think this is where, and again, the extreme, we all can sit there. If somebody puts up a racist post, um, we all can sit there and say, you know, that guy's a jackass. He shouldn't be doing that. But when you look at, let's say, KML's post of late. Um, He's been putting up a lot of stuff about the coronavirus. And obviously, he's not one who believes in the um, story out there about the, the coronavirus. Now, that should be celebrated. I mean, somebody's free to debate it and say, you know, what you're putting up there is not true, or what that doctor said is not true. But at least then you can have a discussion about it. And like you said, before the the internet and social media, what was interesting is there was always the the conversations and there was always the agenda. Just most people didn't realize, you know, the nightly news was not this news cut It was a program until it was an agenda. Um, You know, somebody was behind it pulling the puppet string. You know, at that time, we didn't realize it. Today, now that there's alternative ideas out there, alternative media, People can blog whatever they want and go and show videos that, you know, independent people put together. That, now you sit there and say, you know, what they're saying on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC is total bullshit. You know, yeah. that's not, not how it goes down. But we didn't even, we weren't aware of that. Before. We just thought Ted Koppel was telling us the truth. I mean, and it's it just, probably- no, I mean,
0: it's just exposed, you know, what was our hasn't it hasn't really added any any new dynamics it's just exposing the the dynamics that were there and that people you know didn't see
1: yeah and and this is all part of humanity's transformation because we're we're learning how to play with these tools and the internet in the grand scheme of things it you know it's only been about 30 years and for most of us we've been using it maybe 20 perhaps 25 years if you were an early adopter. So in the history of mankind, I mean, this is really a new phenomenon. And even still, for all the negativity that we uh, mentioned, um, I mean, I don't think any of us will say that the Internet hasn't been a wonderful innovation and the fact that people across the world can communicate instantly for free. Talking about the economics of technology again, for free. I mean, if you got an internet connection, you can talk to anybody in the world as long as they have one. You know. Yeah. Twenty years ago, you would have had to get an international calling card and pay, you know, two dollars a minute or whatever.
0: Yeah. So, to kind of draw this back to uh, to technology and you know our our main topic, um, how how do you see technology? kind of solving these issues, or at least, you know, creating better opportunities for these issues? Do you think platforms like Twitter and Facebook, um, you know, how, how do you think technology is going to change the way those platforms work, or, or maybe even move people onto new platforms entirely like Hive?
1: I, I think the latter, I, I think you will see new platforms appearing that basically, ultimately are going to cater to people's Interest, and when we talk about the idea of communities, another word you can use in the digital realm for that is network. And so now anybody has the ability to, you know, with a little tech technical expertise, expertise to set up a blockchain, to set up a token, to set up a website, to set up a community, and you you put together one that's centered around finance. Well. People can put it together centered around religion or their religion or racism or conservative politics or liberal politics or the New York Yankees or whatever the case may be. Now, all of that may not require an individual blockchain. Maybe that shows up on EOS or Hive or Ethereum or wherever. But um, I think people will be able to choose the tribes, if you will, the communities that they interact in and you don't have to go to one base platform like Facebook to see that. And obviously we're, we're already seeing there's people being ostracized or different topics being ostracized. Uh, You know, obviously the cryptocurrency uh, attacks that YouTube seems to go through periodically. So that, that has a bullseye on its chest. The uh, anti-vaccine people, They have a bullseye on their chest. And if we extend that out, the natural medicine or natural health people, um, conservatives have complained that they're being ostracized. And maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, So we see all these different groups that basically are going to be looking for for new homes. And I think that's really the next phase, the next progression, uh, is that we are going to start to virtually establish smaller communities. So instead of having this big behemoth Facebook with two, two billion people on it, you might have a community online that deals with, you know, pottery and may only have, you know, 3,000 people involved who are spread all over the world. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's the transition. And that's one of the reasons why I don't agree with there will just be one token, one cryptocurrency that will be the, the money of the Internet. Uh, there's going to be millions of these and people are going to be assigning whatever value and transacting them whatever value they assign to. So if your pot is worth, uh, you know, your pottery, the little pot you made is worth, you know, 55 of our pottery tokens, I send you 55 pottery tokens, you give me a pot. Um, You know, that's an agreement between us and, and the community we're in. Uh, so, I think that is really one of the essential points that a blockchain like Hive is starting to lay the foundation
0: yeah i I definitely agree with you. It's like the uh you know the fragmentation of these huge corporations and uh, bringing it down to uh, you know the more people level which could be uh, analogized to um you know, small villages and small communities, and how they operate, and how you know how humans used to communicate, which is in a smaller community, a smaller subset of people, rather than in this one huge melting pot, uh, and and you know, kind of handing over the keys to uh, to just a few uh, people at the top, like uh, like Zuckerberg, um, and and networks like Hive, where you can you can create a fragmented community and then even further fragment it into smaller subcommunities is really you know i i believe that that's the future of where social media and just generally you know the usage of internet is going and uh and you know to to draw it back further to uh to kind of bitcoin in the macro perspective of uh you know money and and who we are reliant on uh you know for policies for uh, our well-being, since money is so closely tied uh, to everything we do. You look at countries like Venezuela and, and people are suffering because their government isn't doing a good job controlling their money. And then you find something like Bitcoin and it changes the, changes the entire game. Changes, uh, it shifts who has the power and, and, uh, and how that power is distributed. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it changes everything really.
1: Well, well, the interesting thing, and and it's funny you bring up Venezuela, and and there's a similar situation in Iran, uh, and they're they're experiencing massive inflation, and you know the linear mind says, well, it, it's due to all the money print. Well, we have to keep in mind these countries were sanctioned by the United States primarily, or in the lead by the United States and, and other countries following. So basically, you now have countries who They generated their their international money, the U.S. dollar, through the sale of oil. Well, now they've been cut off from the international marketplace. They're they're sanctioned. They can't do anything. And so now all of a sudden, you look at Venezuela, one of their biggest problems is a supply issue because now they can't get products coming into the country that they need and they can't develop the products because they don't have the resources. They don't have the money. And... What you were alluding to, I I love the analogy because I use that too, to a little town or a little village. Um, I think that's the right mindset because if we go back 150 or 200 years, you know, if we went out into the plains and we set up a village out there, well, we'd have to build the church and we'd have to build a a blacksmith shop and we'd have to build a sawmill and a, a, a general store and a schoolhouse and all that stuff. And that's basically what Hive's doing, and the difference is 150 years ago, you were 25 miles, 30 miles away from the next closest town, so you were basically isolated, and you spent your whole life in that town, and you never left, and you were in one town your whole life. Well, now, if we look at these virtual villages, the difference is you can go from one village to the next with a click of a a mouse, and you can be involved in hundreds of different villages because you you can be involved in all your interests. You can be, oh, well, I like the Yankees, so I'm in the Yankee village. I like the NBA and the Lakers, so I'm in that village. I, I like ancient history, so I'm in that village. You know, I like uh, Game of Thrones, so I'm in that village. And I like finance or the stock market, so I'm in those villages. And that's really where, when we look at it, abundance. Because we are not, going to be predicated uh, on money, incomes from just one particular area of who's around us geographically. And you're right. It changes the balance of power, not only for individuals against governments, but governments against each other. You know, the United States doesn't have a lot of friends around the world. (laughs) Um, They just have people agree with them because we slap the shit out of everybody. But you go talk to people in a lot of countries, they really can't stand the United States. Um, But here's a chance for Iran and Venezuela through the use of cryptocurrency, basically to thumb their nose at the United States to say, you cut us off from the SWIFT system? We don't give a shit. We'll use something else. And um, so I think that's really where when you you start to look at the dynamics of control and who's trying to control, those who are are trying to control are also controlled by somebody else. So it gets kind of humorous if you circle it all around. And that's where technology is going to come in, in my opinion, and just start wiping them all out because we're decentralizing everything. I mean, it's just across the board, we're seeing stuff decentralized.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're seeing, you know, the fragmentation of, of every, everything at every level. You know, I don't think anybody's safe. I don't think any, any technology or any company is really, even any government is really safe from, uh, from the fragmentation uh, that's happening. So I think that's a a good point to uh, wrap it up on. Uh, Anything else you want to leave the audience with?
1: Nope. I mean, I think we covered it. It was a a good program today.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you uh, next week.